Good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. Um, we're going to continue our study in Galatians. So um, if you have it on your phone, you want to get the phone out, we put the Bibles back in the pews. Um, so if you want to grab a Bible, um, grab a Bible. That's the way to grab a Bible is grab it. Um, it's page 1168. Um, you might want to have it in front of you. We're going through the book of Galatians systematically. And what we, I think we'll do is we'll just do bits, chunks. I'll read it as we go through together as I preach. So um, let's do that this morning. Today's passage is looking at the conversion of the Apostle, Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul was the one who wrote this book that we're reading and together and studying together this autumn of Galatians. Remember, Paul was a previous persecutor of the Christian church. You know, he opposed early Christians, and he opposed what Christians said about Jesus. He was actively against Jesus. And he loathed the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet what we find here and we discover as well is that Paul subsequently became in a way, Christianity's chief proponent, and he's one of the greatest missionaries, and he wrote many of the books that those of you know in the New Testament, the letters in the New Testament. So what we're looking at this morning is a radical transformation, a radical change. This is a story and account of someone whose life was completely turned around. And ultimately, it's a story of amazing grace amazing grace. And I don't know about you, but I love stories of transformation, stories of God at work where people's lives are changed. I think for me, some of that started when I think I was a teenager, which is a long time ago, for those who don't know. And when I was a teenager, I remember reading, there was a, a book that was really popular at the time uh, called Run Baby Run by someone called Nicky Cruz. He was a former gang member in New York. He led one of the kind of vicious gangs in in New York, then his life was completely turned around when he came to Christ. God met him. And he didn't just change a few things. His life was completely turned around. It was a dramatic, amazing miracle. Now, the thing about this is when you're a teenager and you read that, you think, well, is that what my life's got to be? I don't particularly have a story of drunk drugs, killing people, sex and violence, particularly, you know, that's not particularly my story, I'll add. How much of that is kind of, a, you know, I'll leave you to think about it. But most of us here probably won't have as radical a story as he did. It might be much more gentle, less dramatic. But every life that's a story of something coming to Christ is a miracle. It is a miracle. It is a miracle. None of us inherit salvation from our parents or our grandparents. God has no grandchildren, just children. Jesus saves every one of us individually and personally, one person at a time. And each one of us is unique. So let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for extraordinary grace in the kind of limitations of who I am and my own words and my preparation and who we are. 
thank you for your extraordinary grace. Thank you for the way that you break into each one of our lives. And you long, you long, you long, you long to reveal more of yourself to us. Thank you, you've not forgotten us. Would you speak to us this morning afresh? In Jesus' name, amen. So, verses 10 to 12 of Galatians 1. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. These verses show us that the revelation of the gospel came from Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we receive things, essentially our beliefs and our attitudes are formed and shaped by essentially three different ways. Tradition, things that we've learned through other people, however far back it goes. Uh, by our own instincts, uh, which are a particular thing a lot of us live by today, you know, whether it feels right to me, and I'm going to shape my life based on that. Or here through revelation. Revelation from God. And Paul says the source of the gospel, the source of what we believe, is revelation. He confirms it also in verses 15 and 16. That the gospel is not of human origin. It's not a man-made project to get to God. God revealed it. God chose to reveal it. The church is not built on people, on previous vicars, on current vicars, on decisions of the PCC, the diocese's things. It's built and always has been on revelation. Revelation. God revealed it. The foundation of the church is God's revelation to us. The message of God given first to the apostles and also through God's word, the Bible. If you want to kind of just capture it in a simple quote, there's someone called Bishop um, Stephen Neal who wrote this about it. He said, the old saying, Christianity is Christ, is almost exactly true. The historical figure of Jesus of Nazareth is a criterion by which every Christian affirmation has to be judged. And in the light of, the, of which it stands a fall, Christianity is Christ. Christianity is Christ. You see, the set, the, the heart, the foundation, the basis of our faith is not a set of moral principles, it's not a set of guidelines to help you live a better life, to enable you to kind of be a better husband or a you know, to be more successful in life or whatever else it is you think that faith in Christ might be about. It's not a manual to help you. Christian revelation comes from Christ. And it's all about Christ. It's Christ who's at the center of everything. And I remember having a conversation um, a couple of, couple of years ago with someone in this congregation who sort of was telling me how guilty they felt in their Christian life. I said, well, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this. But actually, you can, you can tell a conversation, a Christian conversation. There's so many ways in which you can understand what it means to be a Christian. By a simple conversation is, does this lead me nearer to Christ? 
does this lead me nearer to Christ? Does this message lead me closer to Christ? Does this conversation lead me closer to Christ? That's how you can tell whether we're Christ-centered. And even the disciplines like prayer, Bible Bible study and fasting only make any sense if they're leading us closer to Christ. They're not an end in themselves. We're connected to Christ. The revelation is from Christ and the revelation is of Christ himself. Then if we look at verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of mine own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. This, in essence, is Paul's testimony of what religion without Christ looks like. And Paul is saying, I am an example. I am a sinner who is saved by grace. And if God can save me, he can save us too. If God can save me, he can save anyone. Amazing grace. Paul's previous life before Christ was one of being a model Jew. Brought up strictly, a Jew of Jews, trained by the best. A model Pharisee born from Pharisees. But the thing is this, that religious life without Christ made him a persecutor of the church. Hunting down Christians and trying to annihilate them. What kind of testimony is that of faith? Across the globe, there are still people persecuted for their faith. Christians are persecuted. In the past, Christians have got it spectacularly wrong truth. So why does religion without Christ result in the persecution of other people? Paul hints at the answer here in verse 14. You see, religion is always, almost always, imagined as a ladder in which you've constantly got to get higher up. You've got to climb higher to get closer to God. And the more committed you are, the more zealous you are, the closer to God you'll get. And the more rungs up the ladder means that you can compare yourself to other people. Because I'm up here, all the rest of them are down here. You know, I'm the really good wise, mature one, and they're the ones who are still learning. And that always creates a culture of comparison, always will. We'll compare ourselves to people other, you know, the temptation is true in my own life, you know, I'm far more committed to the church than everybody else. I read my Bible better, or I pray more, and I know from the conversations I've had, all of us attempted to try and raise ourselves up above other people in this church. Or are people outside? Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Somehow it makes us feel as though we're worthy of God's love. That we're better than other people. And that isn't grace. Because the thing is this, is you've got to get ahead of other people to get that sense of affirmation, that sense of worthiness to make you feel good. And religion will always not get you there in terms of being with and close to Christ. And if we think like that and we think without Christ, we'll always be in that sense of never being enough, never being worthy, never getting there. 
It will never be enough. So here's a picture of the grace of God. So let's pretend for the, for the argument's sake this morning. You've been taken, we've all been taken hostage by uh, some terrorists and there are 50 people in the room. And suddenly some people come in and they rescue us. And as they come in and rescue us, you sit there and think, well, the reason they've come to rescue me is because I'm actually really gifted. You know, because actually they've rescued me because I actually have read my Bible every day for the last 80 years. Or because I'm the really gifted one. Or I've done this or I've done that. I'm somehow, I'm worthy of being rescued. Sometimes in the past, when I made a, um, a, a decision early on in my life when I was at school not to drink, you know, and sometimes, you know, the things we've set ourselves, say, I'm not going to do this, can make us feel slightly good about ourselves. You know, it makes me feel slightly better. But it's not enough. It's not enough. It never will be. Because it's not grace. That's religion. It's religion without Christ ultimately is unattractive and it will drive people away from the church. It's like the older brother in the story we looked at a few years ago in the Bible, well known by in Luke 15. Paul shows us the danger of life without Christ. And because you think you're okay, and the difficulty with it is doing religion without Christ, is that you think you're okay when you really, you know, deep down you're not. And if you want a brutal illustration of it, this was the quote from Martin Luther, the heart of so much going back in the past, who describes what it felt like. He says this, Outwardly I kept myself chaste, poor and obedient. I was given to much fating, watching, praying, saying of all sorts of masses and the like. Yet under the cloak of my outward respectability, I continually mistrusted, doubted, feared, hated and blasphemed God. Luther says, Satan loves such saints. They're his darlings, for they destroy their own bodies and souls and miss all of God's blessings. Let's move on to look at 15 to 24, the, uh, what it means to be in relationship with Christ. Picking up at verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Right at the beginning, here in verse 15, we see the heart of what it means to be in relationship with God. The subject changes from not being all about Paul. The subject changes to being about God. And that's at the heart of the Christian faith. 
We move from a situation where our life is all centered around me, I, 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 me, 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 to Christian conversion where Christ becomes the center of our lives. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. Christianity is always marked by Christ displacing us at the center of our lives. We're going to see this later when we get to Galatians 2.20, which famously said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In a way, if you want a way of describing it, is it's like this. You see, Christian conversion is like going to the cinema and looking at the credits to find that God gets top billing and you're the supporting actor, rather than you get top billing and God somehow is the supporting actor in your story and your life. We're the supporting actors. Before we meet Christ, it's, as many of you will attest, really it's all about us. But afterwards about what Christ is doing, about his kingdom, his story, shaping and changing our lives. So let me ask you this morning, are you converted? Do you know that you're converted? Do you know that you've given your life to Christ? Is this new way of life something you see and want and know of for yourself? And can you say that you've moved to the supporting role and God is at the center? That's what this passage asked. See, the thing is this, the Christian life at its start and its ongoing nature is all about growing in connection with Christ. Peter, one of the other um, writers in the New Testament, calls about growing in grace. John Stott, the famous preacher, uh, of the last century, uh, wrote a book titled Understanding Christ, in which he essentially said that a Christian's entire life in the Bible is described in terms of deepening our relationship with Christ. It's about deepening our relationship with Christ. And in verse 17, we don't know, we find that Paul has gone off, he's gone off to Arabia for three years, and we don't know quite what he did and, uh, and what he went, went about and did. But one of the ways we can deepen our relationship with Christ is that sometimes when we find ourselves alone, when it's just us, and we've got to rely on God, that we find out where we are with Christ. You know, we went, staff went on retreat. Admittedly, there were four other people, so it wasn't entirely uh, we were on our own this week. But when you've got lots of time on your own and just to be with God, you discover where you are with God when you've got to depend on him in a slightly different way, then we fill our lives with so much stuff that God is somewhere in our story, how much of an actor in our story he is. Sometimes is a challenge for us, isn't it? But we can deepen our relationship with Christ in so many different ways as we long to follow him, long to put him at the center in our worship, in our prayer, and all those other ways. How do we prioritize that for, for ourselves? How do we set that to respond to what God has done in our lives and if I just briefly to, to finish in verses 23 and 24 right at the end uh, of the passage we've, we've said we see that amazing testimony of the radical change that's happened in Paul's life 
other people noticed the radical change in Paul's life. They saw it for themselves. They saw the demonstration. It wasn't his works. God had done something. And it changed the whole direction and focus and the experience of his life. And when Christ comes into our lives, at the center of our lives, there will be change. There has to be change. It's inevitable to be changed. Not because we're trying hard, but because he's at work. And that can happen in numerous ways. It can happen because suddenly we start to discover the fruits, the blessings of being in Christ. His peace, his joy, his love, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness. And it starts to show in the things we do. We're suddenly not consumed by anxiety but of the future because he has our future in his hands. It changes things. And the change in us isn't just a small change, it involves a radical change. It involves a change in direction. Just like in Paul's case, it involves a U-turn. To finish, just to give an example, this is a story I read this week. A few years ago, um, a young man had been attending a church for a few weeks and he approached the, uh, the pastor of this church. Um, he'd attended for a few weeks and the pastor said, you know, what are you learning? What are you discovering as being with us for the last month or so? And the man responded to the pastor this way. He said, well, I feel like I was always on this path. And I feel like I'm kind of evolving into a Christian. The pastor said to him, so, you know, obviously trying to find grace as much as he could. He said, may I say something to you with all affection? The, the kind of man took a step back and said, well, okay. The pastor said, well, that's impossible. No one evolves into becoming a Christian. It always involves a U-turn. You've got to change. You've got to change. Christianity is not just the natural result of where we've always been going. You weren't just on the road, just moving towards Christ. You've got to get on a different road. You've got to turn around to Christ. This morning, friends, we am I longing for us? Am I longing for us as a church, but also for us as a city and as a parish? We need an intervention. We need God's revelation. We need an embracing of God's work, a visitation of God. Conversion to Christ and to be with Christ means radical change as we invite him to take his place in our lives. And this morning, we all need his grace, his amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for the enormity of all you've done for us. That you have come to us in Christ.
you changed our lives, turned them around, and I want to thank you for that. Father, I ask this morning, as wherever we are this morning in relation to that, we have an opportunity to recommit our lives to you and say, Lord, I want you to be first and you alone, to be first in my life. Forgive me for trying to do life on my own terms, to go my own way, to live without repentance, essentially to be in the main actor and to put you somewhere down. But Father, I pray too that would you come to us, would you speak to us as your people, by your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come afresh upon your church. We long to be a church who hears your voice, who knows that you're speaking. Showing us your affection, showing us your goodness, showing us the evidence of your amazing grace amongst us. Thank you for your work amongst us. Thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you've not given up on us. And however mucky, dirty, distant, far from you we feel this morning, how many bad things we think we've done, you invite us back, you invite us to return, you invite us to come afresh to you this morning. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.